This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Derek Pryor. Derek, do you want to say hello? Hello, everybody. Now, we had you on episode 216 of the Ruby Rogues podcast talking about code reviews. Um, man, that was, a uh, what, two, three years, almost three years ago, two and a half years ago. Wow, time's been flying by, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, do you want to just kind of give people an update as to uh, what you, where you're at now or what, what may or may not have changed over the last two years or so? Um, sure. So since that time uh, that I was on the show, um, that was shortly, I think it was shortly after I had given a code review talk at RailsConf, mm-hmm. um, that kind of took off. <laughs> it got a lot of traction online and it's one of those things there. Um, I'm pretty proud of it and I still get people messaging me on Twitter or uh, when I when I for, when I'm doing consulting work for Thoughtbot, when I sign on at new client Slack, sometimes people will message me and say like, "Hey, I really enjoyed this talk. I watched it on YouTube." Um, so that was a really um, exciting experience for me, and it made the experience of like speaking at conferences more addictive and more attractive, right? Because you get all this uh, positive attention. And so I've been kind of doing that. I've I've spoken at a, at a few Rails comps now, um, been enjoying that, and also um, had a little bit of a job change here at Thoughtbot. So I went from being a developer to being a development director. So I spend my time, um, you know, I still do client work and development work mm-hmm. on a day to day basis, but I also spend my time mentoring teammates, hiring a team, that kind of thing. It's been a great experience. Yep, different challenges in that job though. <laughs> yeah, different challenges and hard to balance sometimes with um, with the development work. Like recently, I think I've been struggling a little bit with, I feel like when I'm coming in doing development work day to day, I'm largely in control of the obstacles that get presented to me uh-huh. or or at least can anticipate some of them a little more. Whereas when I'm doing more um, stuff involving a team, some of those things come out of left field at me and, I, and it can kind of uh, derail my day. And so... Yeah. Um, needing to compartmentalize sometimes and say like, uh, yeah, I see this, I see this thing happening that requires my development director hat. Uh, do I need to deal with it right now or can I do it? Can I do it tomorrow? Right. And being better about compartmentalizing that is, has, has been a large thing. And then also just, uh, learning a whole new set of skills, like being a good developer doesn't automatically obviously make you a good manager. So trying to be intentional about learning those skills, uh, has been a lot of fun. Yeah. That latter point about being a good developer doesn't necessarily mean you're a good developer manager. I've had that conversation. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times. And as far <laughs> as the rest of those challenges go, you know, I'm kind of wearing the entrepreneur hat and some of that applies here too. It's just interesting to, to deal with and mm-hmm. say, Oh, okay. So I'm a, I'm a halfway decent developer, but you know, Oh, I have this fire over here. Yeah. Do I need to deal with it now? Do I need to fight it later? Can I put it off? Can I get somebody else to do it? Yeah. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. interesting stuff. 
Um, we, we have you on the, the show today to uh, talk about you. So we're going to dive into your story, find out how you got into programming, how you got into Ruby, and just overall kind of paint a picture for people. Um, and I'd also like to dig into some of the issues around being in management, because I don't think we talk about that much. And I think sometimes that's a detriment to our uh, industry. So um, I'd love to dive into some of that. But let's, sure, let's great. go way, way back. How did you get into programming? Um, I think the, the earliest memory I have of being interested in programming comes from, and this is, uh, so I was, you know, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1980. And uh, I think it was probably Christmas of 1987 or 88 uh-huh. or something like that when my parents or my mom and my stepdad um, pulled together a lot of money for the time, which was probably... Um, I looked it up at the, this computer probably cost somewhere around a thousand dollars at the time they bought it, which is probably like more like $2,500 today, something uh-huh. like that. And, uh, they bought me an Apple II GS, which was, uh, after the Mac had already come out. So the <laughs> Apple II platform was already on its last legs, but you know, it's what they could, it's what they could afford and what they were sold. So they, so they bought an Apple II GS and I remember, um, originally just playing games on it and being like, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, you pop a disc in and you play this Olympics game that I had and uh-huh. thought that was really neat. And then at some point I happened, I was in, I remember, I think it was second grade and I happened to see in the back of one of my math books, they had Apple, Apple two and Apple two GS were pretty popular, um, computers to have at schools. So in the back of the math book, there was this thing about how you could boot up an Apple two GS and then type in basic programs. And so I would do like 10, you know, you had to get bait in basic, you have to do line numbers. So I do 10 and then I would say, you know, print and a string and I, and it would print out a string. Mm-hmm. And I remember just the feeling of getting it to print a string was amazing. And then there was like, it taught you what to do with how to do a loop. I remember being like, wow, look what I can do. And it was nothing. Right. But I remember just thinking like that, that really just got me started on, um, I think just wanting to know how these things worked and how, how the games that I was playing got built and how the whole system worked. Uh, and that, that's what really, kind of started it for me just that young and it just became kind of a thing I was interested in throughout my life growing up from that from then on really right I remember um, those Apple IIe's with the plastic cases and the green screens and uh, yeah the 2GS was nice because it had a full color screen so that was pretty nice <laughs> oh wow yeah, yeah when I was in second grade I think the school had a lab with a bunch of those in there so yeah and I remember also like a, another big influence on me when I was younger growing up is like in the, I want to say like mid nineties, early nineties, um, is when, uh, online services like prodigy and AOL started to uh-huh. like really become popular. And, um, <laughs> this is going to sound silly, but I remember a, um, my friend one day showing me that you could get a free AOL account with this program <laughs> called a- AOL which was like this thing that ran on top of America online. And, um, I was just amazed by it. And I was like, somebody built this and like, it would, you know, you could register with a credit card that like, am I admitting to fraud here? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but you could register with a, with a credit card that checked that basically it was a bogus credit card. It just passed the checksum and that's all that America online checked at the time. Um, and you could have that account for like a month before they went to try and bill it and it would get shut down or whatever. And I thought that was amazing. Cause at the time I remember like having arguments with my mom about, uh, the bill for, for online services and things like that. Cause you got billed by how much time uh-huh. you spent online. And, uh, and so I remember being inspired by that to be like, can I build one of these? And then I set off to try and build one of those in Visual Basic, which was probably like the first actual program that I built and gave to a few friends. 
Um, and it did nothing right. It, like, it just did annoying stuff that I thought was cool. Um, and, uh, I won't tell you the name of it now. And I have checked and there is no, no record of it online anymore, thankfully, because I'd probably be embarrassed by, uh, by some of the stuff in it today. But, um, so yeah, that, that was another, that was probably the first time I, I created a program from scratch and shared it with somebody. And I thought, I felt really proud of myself at the time. Um, and looking back, it was a fun experience. But like I said, probably some things I'm a little bit ashamed of now, but, um, <laughs> And then ultimately, I I mean, I guess ultimately what I ended up finding is like in high school, I actually took some actual programming classes and I figured out that I was kind of good at it and um, decided to pursue that in college. And uh, one of the big one of the big benefits to me is that I had read an article somewhere that said, like, if you didn't like dressing up, that being a computer programmer was a good job for you. Oh, there you go. And I didn't like dressing up. (laughs) (laughs) So I figured like, you know, the combination of I'm pretty good at it. uh, I seem to be pretty good at it. And uh, it doesn't require me to dress up. And that's that's how I chose chose my career path, everybody. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess that's that's the history of how I got into programming. That's amazing. So what kind of programming were you doing in high school then? Was that uh... Uh, basic and Pascal? Pascal. Mostly. Yeah. 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 I did a little bit (laughs) of Pascal in junior high. So my big um, capstone project that like I had sped through all the exercises for the class and the big capstone project was writing a battleship game. And so I wrote a battleship game and that happened pretty quickly. And then I ended up adding some like I tried to add intelligence to when you were playing against the computer. I mean, intelligence, right? Where right. it was just like if you, if the previous thing it did random guesses and then if the previous thing was a hit, it guessed next to it. That was as intelligent as it got. But I remember being like, I built artificial intelligence, right? I mean, not really, but hey, yeah, uh, it counted for me. <laughs> you gave it a strategy that gave it a better chance of winning. Right. It made it a little more entertaining to play against anyway. Yep. So, uh. Yeah, that that's just fascinating. So how how did you go from kind of the the tinkerer in high school to um sort of a, a full-time expert developer? <laughs> uh it was a very gradual thing. <laughs> um no, I mean I went to college and um through, you know, I'm privileged to have known uh people that could pull strings for me to get me good internships places and get good 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 work experience. Uh-huh. Um and, you know, I recognize not everybody has that opportunity, but, um, you know, so I got some good work experience at places like IBM and Microsoft when I was in college and, um, you know, learned, um, learned as much, pro- I learned mostly Java in college and kind of, um, didn't realize until too late that college wasn't there to teach me programming languages. It was there to teach me concepts. Uh-huh. Uh, so when I, when I did graduate, it was kind of a rude awakening of like, it was 2002, the economy was down and, you know, people could hire, people could choose to hire a junior developer just out of college like me, or they could hire, um, you know, somebody who had just been laid off and had five years experience. Right. And so I found myself competing for these jobs with people with much more experience than me. So I basically had to, uh, uh, go on any interview that would even consider getting back to me, obviously. And then also, um, just, I remember in, in, in the interview that when I ended up getting the job in that interview, Somebody asked, asked, asked me straight out. They said, you know, Genuity was a company down the road at the time. And they said, you know, they just laid off 50 people. Why shouldn't I just hire one of them? Right. And that was a question. <laughs> <in my interview. laughs> um, so that was the environment I came out into. And then I just I kind of did anything anybody would pay me to do, um, which involved early on a lot of .NET development. So I, I kind of dug it. Well, I guess at the time it was probably just regular doing ASP and then transitioning to ASP.NET and things like that. Right. That's interesting. So how did you find Ruby then? 
Um, so for, I found Ruby when I was working at Akamai, which is the second job I had out of college. And, um, I had been at Akamai for several years doing, working on a, working on a team that mostly maintained applications around our financial systems there. Uh-huh. And it was actually the, the job had kind of slowly over the last over the, you know, the few years prior to that become basically working on this thing called Siebel, which is a giant CRM that's um, has like a proprietary development environment and things like that. And I really I didn't enjoy it. And I don't think at the time I realized how little I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I, I was not challenged by it and not interested in doing it. And was actually really struggling at the job um, because I, you know, wasn't interested in it anymore. And I wasn't doing my best work, obviously. And um, I got re I got reorganized under an, under a new manager who kind of got wind of this and pulled me into her office. And thankfully, instead of saying like, "Hey, we're letting you go," <laughs> uh-huh. said like, "What's what's going on?" Right. Um, and this right. is a big influence, I think, on my on on me both from like a programming perspective and also like the man- type of manager I'd like to be. Um, where, uh, this woman, Rebecca, she said to me, you know, what's going on? I know that you can do great work. You know, are you challenged? What do you, what kind of work do you want to do? That kind of thing. And I told, I talked to her about, you know, I was, I was honest about why I wasn't, why I wasn't feeling engaged. And she found work for me to do on this other team that she, she had people reporting to her that worked on this other team. And it was doing this thing called Ruby on rails. And so, um, that's where I started digging into that. It was my first Ruby on Rails project, and it was the first time doing anything that I would consider like an open source kind of development community. And I thought it was just so awesome to have people that were like, um, I guess it, it just felt much more like people were trying to solve problems together, even if you didn't work at my company, right? It's like, uh-huh. I'm having this problem, you're having this problem. Oh, look, there's this library that exists, and you can use that library and it'll solve your problem. And you can also, like, when you install that library, you're going to get the source code for it. And you can much like you could when you were, you know, uh, first learning how to do HTML, you can just like view source, right. And figure out how did they do that? Um, and I just thought that was just such a huge moment for me. And, um, over time working on that project and a follow-up project in rails, I just got a little more comfortable at it, a little better at it and found myself like, um, just ultimately ending up on like ThoughtBot's blog or ThoughtBot's open source libraries that solved a lot of my problems and found out that like they were in Boston too, which is where I was or where I am and, um, read through things that they had like the playbook, um, where they outline how they work with clients and the type of environment they have where it's a very, um, very sustainable pace where you're going to work 40 hours and then you're going to enjoy the rest of your life kind of thing and a supportive environment where you get to work on open source and like be a part of this community. Cause when I was working at Akamai, I didn't really have that dedicated time to like, if I found a bug, maybe I could patch it, but it was unclear if I was supposed to be submitting that patch or not. Right. It was like, uh-huh. maybe I should run this by, maybe I should run this by a lawyer or just do it at night. Or even if I do it at night, is that still there? Like it was a much different environment. Right. Right. Um, and so I just decided on a lark to apply there and, um, ended up getting a callback and went in for an interview. And that's how I ended up here at ThoughtBot and, uh, working alongside people who kind of shared that same passion and, uh, really my development skill really took off like just like th- that's where the hockey stick growth I think kicked in as far as Ruby uh-huh. uh, is concerned and um, you know haven't looked back since still at ThoughtBot today. So how long have you been there? Uh, it's basically five years exact. It'll be like five years exactly in early March I think. Oh so I've wow. been here for a while. I'm the type of person to stay at a job for a while so since I graduated college I've had three jobs where I stayed like four years seven years and now five years. 
So I'm the type of person to stay a little longer than I think most people in tech are. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's just my natural thing. But also, I, you know, I still come to work usually excited about the problems that I face and um, knowing that really that I'm able to that like this place will support me in doing what I think is my best work. Right. And there won't be they'll support me in not taking shortcuts or in doing what I think needs to be done so long as I can justify that. Makes sense. Yeah, it's funny. I, I always joke. Um, uh, Dave Kimura is a member of the Ruby Rogues uh, panel at this point, and he he's been at uh, his employer for like six or six years or something. Yeah, I'm always like, that's like 80 years in developer years. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah, certainly is. Uh, I think that I think I, I, I remember I saw somewhere and this was a little while ago that the average stint is two years. And I think that it's, it's, if anything, it's only gone, it's only gone down from there yeah. in, in program jobs. I agree. So I'm curious then, um, and, and this is kind of a tangent question, but, um, I know that some people listen to this show because they, they like to hear about other people out there in the community. And some people are listening because they are new and they're trying to get into programming or find a, a better programming job or a new programming job or their first programming job. So how do you evaluate then um, a company like ThoughtBot to say, okay, this is the kind of place I want to work? Um, I think if you're new and you're trying to get into it, um, it's hard. I mean, I can give advice that would work in an optimal case. But in reality, I know that a lot of people who are new to programming are just looking for somebody to call them back. Uh-huh. And somebody to give them that interview, and they're not going to have a lot of choosiness. But I think if you are in, if you are lucky enough to be in a position where like uh, you do have options, and you're going to evaluate company A versus company B, um, I think it's important for you to un- to really like try and get a sense when you're being interviewed of the people that are interviewing you, and say like, are these people I can see helping me? Uh, like when I have a problem, are they do I are these the type of people I want to sit with and work through a problem with? Because, uh, or ultimately, or like, is this the type of, and also like, is this the type of company that's going to, because of companies that hire junior developers, I find that there's a few different types. And one of them is like, we're going to hire 20 junior developers and maybe three or four will, you know, (laughs) will stand the test of time and really, and and they're just looking for that person who can do it themselves. Uh And then there are companies that are going to produce that more supportive environment where, um, you know, they, they share in the responsibility of leveling you up as a new developer. Right. Um, and they have an idea of how to do that. And those are the types of companies you're looking for. How to find them is tough. You know, you gotta, um, because like I said, so often you're constrained by the places that will actually, um, talk to you. And, uh, but I think that when you're going through that process, really to me, it's always impressive when I'm talking to somebody who knows the support they need, um, and knows what they're looking for. And I love to hear that when I'm when I'm interviewing people at, at any level, really, if I'm interviewing senior developers, junior developers, people new to development, that thing. Makes sense. And then the other question I have, because I've talked to a number of people who work or have worked at ThoughtBot, and it just seems, you know, you mentioned the playbook and, you know, 40 hours and then you're going home and, you know, we, <laughs> we do things this way and we do it this way, be, not just because um, we feel like it creates great software, but because this is the kind of life and company and culture that we want to have. How do you create that? How do you and how do you enforce it so that, you know, you get what you're looking for, you know, for your employees? Um, you know, I don't know that we inf- I guess we probably I guess I guess I would say we're just very protective of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're not afraid to call each other out when things seem to stray from there. And there was a long time in ThoughtBot's history where like 
you know, certainly the founders of the company were, were putting in 60, 80 hour weeks. Right. And it, it just became a moment where they kind of looked at each other and said, like, why, why, if we're going to do this, why are we doing the same thing everybody else is doing? I could get a job at any place doing this. Why am I doing this work? Yeah. And so I think it, it comes like we have a, we have a purpose statement. If you go to like thoughtbot.com slash purpose, which outlines our values, our company values. And we try and let all of let we try and make sure our decisions are in line with those values and sustainability is part is one of our values. Um, and so we try and look, th- look at everything through that lens and we empower people to, make changes based on those things, right? So if you think a decision that's been made or a practice that you're seeing is not in keeping with our values, you can propose a change to it. Um, and you can, you can make that formally. Like if it's a written policy that you believe is not in line with our, with our, um, with our values, you can submit a pull request to those policies. Everything is on GitHub, either in the playbook publicly or in our own personal handbook. If it's something that's not really like, you know, something that would be of a public concern. Um, and so you're encouraged to do that, or it could just be like, I'm going to have a conversation with, with the rest of my client team on how we're handling this particular issue, because I feel like we're not being true to our values. And we kind of make sure that every, we're, we always talk about it, I think is a big uh-huh. key. Um, and just, like I said, look at everything through that lens. And when we're having, when you're having tough conversations, really rely or tough, when you're making tough decisions, rely on, you know, those agreed upon set of values to guide us in those decisions. Love it. I absolutely love it. It's funny because this is what my uh, business coach has been telling me to do is, you know, nail down those values, figure out what your mission is, and then, yeah, be true to it. Talk about it with your team. Make sure that people know what it is. And, and yeah, be open to having conversations on how you could do it better. And so right. I, think, I think it's really, really important that a lot of times we think more about how do I get this code to be written correctly. And in a lot of cases, we ignore a lot of the personal aspects of what we're doing. One of the one of the interesting things I've seen here play out a lot is that like when we do hire new people and they come in and they see that like the way ThoughtBot does, I don't know, like performance reviews or something like that uh-huh. is is this way, right? Whatever way it happens to be. And to them, it must have always been that way, right? So to them, ThoughtBot's been doing it this way for 10 years. And we very I've seen Chad, who's our CEO, very intentionally make sure he tells people like, you know, the, the chances are, if you're disagreeing with something we're doing, the chances are very good that we haven't been doing it that way very long because we're, we're, we're open to change. And even if we have been doing it that way 10 years, that doesn't mean like, um, if, if the answer is, if the question is, why are we doing this? The answer is very seldom because that's the way we've always done it. And if it is, that's like, that's like open season for investigating whether we should be doing it a different way. Right. Um, so that's one of the things we try and instill in people when they immediately start is like, you are empowered here to, uh, question things and, um, you know, yes, learn and you should, you should learn from you can, you maybe instead of proposing a change directly, maybe ask a little bit about the history, but don't, don't worry so much about like, oh, well, this is the way ThoughtBot has always done things because we've shown an ability, a, a willingness to change, um, when presented with a good alternative or evidence to the contrary of what we're doing. That makes sense. Um, I, I want to kind of change tactics a little bit and talk a little bit about your contributions to the community. So the, the code reviews talk that you gave, I mean, that got a lot of traction. We, we had you come on and talk about it in on Ruby Rogues. Um, ha, have you had other things that have kind of taken off that have gotten people's attention that you're proud of? Or 
Yeah, I mean, I think these days the thing that most people are likely to have known, most people in this community are likely to have known me for is uh, I'm a host of the Bike Shed podcast, which is um, run by ThoughtBot. I I do that with Sean Griffin, who uh, is a former ThoughtBot worker, former ThoughtBot co-worker. Uh, He now works for Shopify working on Rails itself for them. Um, and so we've been doing that and, and we've had a couple other rotating co-hosts in as well. And, um, we've been doing that now for, ooh, I don't know, a little bit longer than whenever I gave that code review talk, right? We had started a little bit earlier than that. We're up to, you know, 145 ish episodes or something. Um, and that's probably where most people, if they've encountered me would have encountered me either through that or through that conference talk that I mentioned. Um, I've done another, I did a conference talk on, uh, rest basically, which uh-huh. sounds like a really boring, it sounds like a really boring talk to give in 2017 when I gave it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it was more, it, it was more about how to use rest to guide us towards, um, creating <laughs> for the lack of a better word, boring or predictable code. Right. Um, and, and I was actually pleasantly like I knew that I knew through my consulting work that that was the kind of talk that I know a lot of the development teams that I work with could use could use hearing and I was also surprised by the number of people who I really respected as developers that said like they they found value in that talk as well so um, both of those things I feel like um, I'm pretty proud of and that people may have heard of Um, and then beyond the podcast and and the, those conference talks. I'm also I also do some open source main, maintenance for Thoughtbot. With um, cl- I maintain Clearance, which is a gem that was already written that does when I started here that does um, username and password authentication for Rails apps. It's not it's it's not uh, it's not device. Uh, it's the other one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then and then uh, a, co- a former coworker at the time he was a coworker of mine, Caleb Thompson, and I wrote Scenic, which is a uh, a library for managing database views in Rails applications. So if you use those things, then you've used some of my code. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. So what are you working on now? Uh, well, like I said, the the um, continue to work on the bike shed every week. We we put out just about every week. We put out another one of those 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 podcasts. Um, and, you know, I continue to do my development work as a development director at, at, at ThoughtBot. I do, you know, just before I came down here record, to record with you, I was working on client work um, in Rails and JavaScript and uh, occasionally some new technology sprinkled in there. But uh, the bigger challenges, like I discussed earlier in the episode with you, is, um, is around team building and management and mentoring of, uh, of my coworkers, particularly in the, and, you know, that team building, particularly in Boston, uh, we're always looking for good people to work with at any of our offices. So, you know, if people hear this and think that ThoughtBot's a great place to work, you know, you could, you can hit us up at thoughtbot.com slash jobs and see, see what we're looking for or contact me directly wherever. But, um, you know, that's been a big, a, a big focus of mine. I think when, you know, it used to be that when I was on the train, I would read articles about programming. And now when I'm on the train, I read articles about, managing development teams and building development teams and recruiting, uh, and things like that, that I had never previously really considered. How much time do you spend doing the management sort of things as opposed to coding? Um, it's hard to quantify, but, uh, officially I bill three days a week on client work and that leaves me two other days a week to do other work, which is suppo- which also includes like my personal investment time. So at ThoughtBot, we get Friday investment time, um, and so I spend some of that investment time <laughs> investing in my in one on ones with my teammates, which I do find uh, valuable. But I also spend some of that, you know, doing that open source work that I talked about. But then I also have that other dedicated day a week, um, and so I sprinkle in throughout the week, even when I'm doing client work, I sprinkle in you know quick fifteen minute one on ones with people and catch up. 
Um, and then, you know, we have the odd thing that com- comes up or we decide that we, you know, we're always looking for good people, but we decide, you know, you know what, we need to hire two or three developers. Um, so I have mm-hmm. some slack on that, that extra day to kind of like really dig in, start doing non-technical interviews with people, uh, you know, reach out to people who I think might be interesting folks to hire, uh, things like that. Gotcha. One other thing that I'm curious about, I get asked quite a bit by companies uh, that are looking for developers. Uh, basically, how do we find the right person? And uh, usually what they're asking is, how do I find a senior developer? In fact, that's how they <laughs> usually frame it. And, uh, you know, I give them some advice. I'm curious what advice you would give on that. Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm really, <laughs> I'm really sinking my teeth into now. Um, hiring developers in Boston is chiefly become my responsibility. So I'm really trying to figure out what works for us and what doesn't. Um, for instance, you know, I mentioned the podcast. So I, a few weeks ago on the podcast, I kind of made an impassioned plea for folks to contact me if they were interested. Cause, um, you know, a lot of times I think when you're trying to hire a developer that already has, is already gainfully employed as a developer somewhere else, the first hurdle to clear is inertia. Um, and so I was trying to reassure people on that podcast that like, Hey, you don't even have to apply on the website. Just email me, tell me you're interested and I'll set something up and we'll talk. And that went a long way. We got a lot of really, really, we actually got a lot of really good, interesting people that contacted us that way. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that like that podcast has one audience and, um, I can't rely solely on that. I have to balance it with, um, trying to pull from other audiences that have, uh, different demographics, I guess I would say. And so, um, you know, we do that through, we host a number of events and, and meetups in the area and we make sure that we make it known that we're interested in, in talking to people who are, who want to know more about ThoughtBot at those events. And I spend time reaching out directly to people, uh, through LinkedIn. So I find companies in the area that might be doing Ruby development or, and I look for people who are, <laughs> you know, I use LinkedIn to look at people who work at those companies and try and, and contact them directly, but not in a way I felt really uneasy about this at first because I'm sure, you know, if you're a developer, you get those emails that are like, hey, uh, we, I came across your profile on LinkedIn and we're looking for a Java developer. And you're like, I haven't done Java in 10 years. If you paid any attention, you would notice that, right? <laughs> um, and so like I try, instead of contacting, like a, a professional recruiter might go through LinkedIn and contact 100 people, uh-huh. you know? Um, and instead of doing that, I find five people that I'm really interested in talking to and I pitch them on why they should talk to me. And, you know, luckily... At ThoughtBot, we have done a decent job in this community, in the in the Ruby and JavaScript communities, and in, in open source development in general. I think of establishing a name for ourselves so that um, people, I have the most success when people have already heard of us, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I guess that's one piece of long term advice is to spend some time cultivating how you want other developers to think of your company. Um, and that can be in the form, like, this is not an immediate payoff, but it's like, we're going to have, we're going to have a blog and we're going to allow our developers to write a blog post about a thing that they were hung up on. Right. right? And maybe it'll help some other people, or we're going to support our people. We're going to support our developers who want to go speak at conferences. Um, things like that. Those are a little bit more long-term than, you know, putting out a plea to people that you know to be good on LinkedIn, but, but they all, they all kind of contribute to each other so that when that, when they, when the person receives that personalized message that says, Hey, I'm really interested in hearing more about your experience. And I want you, I want to tell you more about what I think ThoughtBot can offer you at the point you're in your, in your career. Um, so that when the, when they get that message, it really lands and they're, and they think like, Oh, ThoughtBot, I know them. And that would be interesting. I'd like to know more. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, there's no shortcut for that, unfortunately. But, um, and I don't have, you know, I say this knowing that I've been really digging into this now for a couple of months. So I'm obviously not an expert on it, but so far, you know, those are where we've seen the best returns. Awesome. I'm sure that'll help a few folks out. Hopefully they're not stealing some of the people that you're after, but <laughs> yeah, well, we're all stealing each other. So it doesn't, so true. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Awesome. Well, the last segment of the show is picks. Uh, do you have some things sure. you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, I've got a few. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that I host a podcast. I'm on this podcast. I really like listening to podcasts. And uh, one of the ones I've really been enjoying lately is the Base CS podcast with Vaidehi Joshi and uh, Saran. Uh, Yip Bark, I think is her last uh -huh. name. Um, and they, so I don't know if the readers may, or listeners, sorry, may be familiar with the base CS, uh, kind of series of blog posts that Vidahi wrote and they're great, except that I find reading long blog posts like that. I just don't, I, I, like I mentioned before, I, t I tend to spend my time reading more about the management side of things these days. So they, they maybe a few months ago came out with the base CS podcast and they put out season one of that, which was, a uh, um, a lot of really interesting material. And those two just have like really such a great rapport throughout the whole podcast. And it has a very high production value. Each episode is really digestible within, you know, a reasonable commute. Um, and Vitahi does such a fantastic job at exp uh, of explaining things. And, uh, as we're recording, I think today they just released or just started releasing season two of that podcast. So there's even more episodes out. And, um, I also just recently saw that Vitahi has a, a video series about based on the base CS stuff too, but she does just a fantastic job of explaining like CS fundamentals, um, in a way that like I have a computer science degree and if she had taught me some of this stuff when I was getting my computer science degree, I would have retained it so much better. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> like she's really, really good at it. So I think if you're interested in learning about that, or even if you already know some of that, like revisiting it through this lens will help you, you know, if you're already an expert, maybe it'll help you find ways to explain it to people who aren't experts that are more effective in the way you have been trying to explain it. Or maybe like me, you'll be like, Oh yeah, I forgot I knew that. And this is a much better way to learn it. Um, so that kind of thing. So I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about that really. Um, so that was number one. <laughs> I have three of these. <laughs> That's good. Uh, the second thing, the second thing is a technical pick from the, I have a coworker here, Paul Smith, who's been working on a, uh, really ambitious project. When he started it, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're, that's crazy. But he's been writing a web framework for Crystal, um, which I know you've talked about Crystal on the Ruby Rogues uh -huh. before. Um, so the web framework is called Lucky. Uh, if you look, I think it's at luckyframework.org or luckyframework.com or something like that. Um, 
And, you know, he has a number of contributors now as well. And he's come uh, come a long way. And if you're interested in the what I would say is like the beauty of Ruby, the productivity of Rails and strong typing, then I think it's worth keeping an eye on both Crystal and, and Lucky. I've written a couple of small things with Lucky and been really impressed with it. Um, it's early days still, but, um, you know, I'm just also just really proud of my coworker for really like, it really is an audacious thing to say, I'm going to write a web framework and then actually deliver on it is impressive. So I wanted to give him a shout out there. Awesome. And yeah. And then my final pick is not technical at all. Um, it's more related to sometimes when I'm, when I'm having a bad day at work, I often like kind of ask myself what it is I do every day. Like, I don't know if this is a common thing, but for me, it's a little, sometimes I can struggle with the fact that at the end of the day, I haven't actually made anything, right? I've pushed a bunch of text around and, um, everything I do is virtual. Uh, so much of what I do is virtual anyway, and not, uh, in a physical, physical space. So what I found is having, I recently started to get into woodworking and having some sort of like physical outlet where I make a thing um, with my hands or power tools as I'm, op- <laughs> I'm apt to do, um, <laughs> some sort of thing where I can, uh, have a hobby that's not sitting in front of a computer, not virtual, but actually delivering a real thing. And so, um, I've been taking a course called the weekend woodworker, um, which is, um, let me look up the person's name. I forget his name. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I've been taking a course called the weekend woodworker, which is by Steve Ramsey, who has like a really popular, um, YouTube channel, which is how I became familiar with him about like making various small projects. And it's just taught me a lot about, you know, setting up a really basic shop in my garage and getting to work on like some small stuff that I'd be proud to have around my house or maybe give to people or, and just spend some time actually making something real in the world. (laughs) Um, and also, you know, um, looking forward to also like my kids have expressed some interest in that and having a hobby to share with them that isn't, um, in front of a screen because they're really interested in the stuff I do in front of a screen too. But sometimes it's nice to step away from that and, and have something else we can share together. That's not that or not playing sports or things like that. So yeah, those are my picks. Nice. Yeah. I have a, an interest in woodworking as well. Yeah, definitely have a few toys or tools, whatever you want to call them on my list of <laughs> things that I want to get. So, uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the danger too. And also yeah. to me is also some of the, some of the appeal, right? It's like another more yeah. things to collect and I have to try and rein myself in and be like, why don't I just deal with the, like the table saw and the miter saw and the couple things I have now. And eventually yeah. if I keep doing this, then I'll, then I'll, I'll feel good about investing in like a drill press or, you know, who knows, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's fun to collect those things. So if you're into that, it's a whole nother Avenue <laughs> to get it to. Yeah. Yeah. The table saw is the next one on my list. I have a drill press yeah. and a a miter saw mm-hmm. and a, a bunch of those other tools. It's just, I, I kind of want to get a lathe too. So, Oh yeah. Those are, I mean, they're hypnotic to watch, right? Yeah. It's like, wow, they took a block of wood and turned it into a post yeah. or whatever, turned it into a leg or that's uh or a baseball bat even, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I keep working on stuff around my house and it'd be fun to just kind of build something. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. I, I could sit here and talk about this stuff forever. Uh, the, the, the other, the other one of my interests is, uh, working on cars. So mm-hmm. I get in and, and do a bunch of that too. And yeah, it's just, yeah, nice get, in, get to, dirty. Yeah. You, you get down, you kind of work with your hands a little bit. It's, it's a different medium than software mm-hmm. and it's nice to not stare at the screen sometimes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yep. um, so I have a few picks, um, the, as we speak, the website for this is not up yet. 
I have I have the one up from last year, uh, but not this year. But uh, by the time this goes live, which will be sometime in April, um, w we will be gearing up for Ruby Dev Summit. Uh, last year was a pretty resounding success. Uh, I think we had like four thousand people register um, for the free ticket. We you know we sold a, a bunch of the uh, paid tickets, which gets you a whole bunch of bonuses and access to the videos after the fact. And we'll probably start releasing the videos um, around the same time, right? To to let people know, hey, this is this is what people got last year, um, so that you can sign up to get those videos this year. But um, it's completely free to attend uh, live, so you know you can come and you can participate. You can participate in the chat room, all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, we have the. Um, the conference going on and I don't have any speakers lined up or anything yet. Uh, last year, our, our kind of big name keynote, uh, speakers were Matt's and uncle Bob. And so I'm hoping to, you know, not disappoint this year, uh, you know, with, uh, getting <laughs> some folks that people want to hear. So excited about that. And, um, anyway, so that's been a lot of fun. And then I just found out that I'm going to be speaking at Ruby hack, which is a conference here in Salt Lake city. So if you're interested in coming and hearing uh, some excellent talks, um, you know, and traveling to Salt Lake City, uh, you can probably, well, I, I don't know if the ski resorts are still open in May. I think it depends on how much more snow we get. But um, that's May 3rd and 4th. And I'm going to be speaking on blockchain. So if you're interested in blockchain, uh, come check it out. Um, I'm going to be doing my coding in Ruby um, at this point, I intend to actually build the blockchain in Ruby. I'm not going to use like Ethereum or anything. Um, so it should be interesting. And then I'm going to talk about what it can be used for outside of the um, uh, cryptocurrencies just to give people ideas as far as, okay, so what does this mean for the future of development and where can it be used? So anyway, um, it's been kind of fun to just dig in and see, okay, what is the blockchain? How does it work? What does it do? How can I build one? Um, it seems like it's a, it, well, it is a fairly simple concept with very interesting potential applications. So anyway, um, so I'm going to pick Ruby hack as well. And, uh, yeah, those are my picks. Uh, Derek, if people want to see what you're working on these days, do you have a blog? Should they follow you on Twitter, GitHub, anything like that? Uh, Twitter is probably the best place to get pointed at whatever I'm doing or wherever I'll be speaking and things like that. So you can follow me on Twitter at Derek Pryor, D-E-R-E-K-P-R-I-O-R. Awesome. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Derek. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. 